All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide in the DMs. We'll hook you up. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in, links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We got a good one coming for you. This has been a long time waiting, nearly a decade of being buddies on social media, my friend Cable Smith from Lone Star Outdoor Show. He's got a radio show slash podcast dedicated to the Texas, but now it's worldwide, baby. Cable Smith is joining us tonight. We're going to talk about all his dogs and his career, how they got him into duck hunting, and big game hunting, African hunting, and more. Ton of great, fun conversation. So but first, you know we got to hit up that Yukonuba, baby. The food that fuels the truck of the lone duck. That 3020 is fueling my big dogs. It's keeping them in shape. It's keeping them healthy. It's keeping that coat nice and schleck. Yukonuba, baby. Next up, smoke them if you got them. I made myself a little pork booty. That big old booty rolling coal. It was delightful. I cooked it from 8.30 p.m. till about 10.30 a.m. Pulled it off, put it in a cooler, ate it that night, and I will tell you, it pulled off the bone. Unbelievable. It makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. Trigger Grills, baby. Smoke them if you got them. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Man's best kennel. If you're rolling down the road and shh, hits the fan, I want your dog protected. And so will you. 
So do me a favor, shoot me a DM when you're ready to get into a gunner kennel and protect your dog. We'll help you out and get into that bad boy. Next up, dog truck. The collar that I've used for over 10 years now. Super reliable, excellent customer service. You know what I use. Edge RT, that's in my back pocket, in my hand, on a dog, every day, all day, right now, right tomorrow, right yesterday, Edge RT. When I'm out in the field duck hunting, I'm using the 1900S. You can find them at LoneDuckOutfitters.com, baby. Next up, shoot or shoot. Mm. Uh, that biz, man. I had one last good South Carolina hunt before I closed out my duck season, and we were rolling, rolling them wood duckies, rolling a few mallards, Eduardo Mallardo, the green tops. We were having a ton of fun, shooting birds, beautiful sunset, excellent dog work from old Memphis and Cruz, and we had bismuth rolling out the barrels. And I will tell you what, if I hit a duck, that sucker was dead. And so the dogs had a little bit of an easy job. They weren't chasing down cripples. They, we weren't screwing around. Deader than a doornail. And it was because of that. Mm, uh, mm, bismuth, baby. Next up, Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. It's a community where we help you learn about your dog it's a community where we have a couple beers every couple weeks and we have live zoom meetings where you get to hang out with me and kevin live talking dogs talking about duck hunting answering your questions more impersonal more in touch so guys check it out patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters all right cable Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm thrilled to be here, guys. Thanks for the invitation. I um, actually got a late start in life as far as hunting goes. My dad is a, and still is to this day a huge bass fisherman. You know, bass and bucks are king in Texas, and my dad, his dad was a fisherman, so I didn't grow up with guns in the house. I just grew up playing sports and, and fishing, and so I got to college and um one of my buddies was like, hey, you have a lab. Well, I got this lab, Maverick, my old dog, <clears throat> first dog, uh, with a girlfriend. And she left, and he stayed. And so my buddies were like, hey, your dog's going duck hunting. And I was like, I don't have a shotgun. I don't even know. I don't know anything about it. But okay, I'll uh, wait enough tables to buy a shotgun. So I bought an 870, and uh, we went duck hunting. And the dog was terrified, like hated it. Like every time somebody shot, because he was afraid of fireworks. Like he liked to swim. I, I, we went to the marina in college, and I threw him tennis balls and sticks and whatever. He liked that, but he hated fireworks. And so, you know, I had to tie him to the blind because we would shoot, and he'd drag half the blind off. He was a hundred pounds, and just bye. So uh, finally, somebody hit a duck. I guess they weren't very good at duck hunting either, because we just kept missing. And somebody finally knocked a greenhead down. I let old Maverick off of his uh, lead, and I think he was like two years old at the time. He went and got the duck, brought it back, never gun shy again. Put it together. And I was like, okay, I'm in. If he's in, I'm in. I'm, you know, I'm totally in. Let's, when do we do this again? And, uh, yeah, that was like, I think I did the math the other day. It was like 19 or 20 years Holy ago. Holy smokes. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm 40 now. I think I started duck hunting when I was 21, maybe 22, and I'm 40. So it's yeah. been a minute. Um, 
and so I, I went from ducks to dove and um, really was just bird hunting <clears throat> when I graduated college and um, I got a degree in radio TV film and I wanted to do sports talk radio everybody wanted to do that though and it was like just becoming this big thing you know 20 years ago and people were making a lot of money doing it so it was very competitive and I was like I'm gonna be like trying to, I'm from Dallas so getting on in a major market right out of college was like damn near impossible uh, so I'd moved to Texarkana, East Texas, like right there on the Texas-Arkansas uh, border. And my boss was like, you have to host a weekly hunting talk show. These East Texas rednecks got to get their hunting fix in. And I was like, well, cool. I uh, I duck hunt and dove hunt and fish. So I'll, I'll you know, I'll BS my way through the rest of it. And uh, and then was like, I guess I better shoot a deer. So I think like that year <laughs> I shot my first deer. So I at least had some like skin yeah. in the game, like, uh, cause it, you know, but, but what I fell in love with was people in the outdoor industry, like you guys are, uh, at the time, Ted Nugent, or I could call, literally call, uh, Phil Robertson's house and Miss K would answer the phone and be like, yeah, Phil's duck hunting, call back at two and you guys can record whatever no you need way. to do. Now that's, now that's not possible right. these days. Right. But back then it was, they were willing to talk to you and, um, yeah, I, the economy went in the crapper in 2008 and I got laid off after like a year and so I, we moved back to Dallas and I I started my uh, radio show and podcast literally on my in-laws dining room table is where I taped the first like 10 episodes and then my wife and I were trying to figure out where we wanted to live what we wanted to do uh, but yeah that's kind of that's kind of how it all got started and uh, from there I just like you tell me what the season is and I'll show up you tell me what what weapon I need to bring and I'm in but uh, anything with a dog is still it's going to be my favorite so real quick day. tell everybody what the name of your show is yeah so it's a lone star outdoor show um in texas it airs on like 20 radio stations and then um i think as many people listen to podcasts these days so you can find it everywhere people can find y'all's podcast spotify um, apple cool. wherever yeah so what a great world to be like still in radio but then have you noticed that radio's dwindled and podcasts has skyrocketed or is it, at least in Texas, is it half and half? No, no, I don't think it's dwindled. I mean, they they always say like newspapers and magazines certainly right. are dying, you know. But um, people still listen to the radio, whether or they, they still listen to audio, whether it's on Spotify or I think it's the age demographic too. Like people under forty tend to listen to more stream whatever they want to stream, whether that's music or or audio conversations. Whereas people over 40, they're kind of set in their ways. They like the radio. I mean, I still, I personally still listen to sports talk radio every day. Like the station that I worked at initially when I was a grunt, like it was like, I'm trying to work my way up this, the ladder at the station in Dallas. I still listen to that station all the time. That was before we moved to East Texas, but yeah. So no, I have, I, I don't think radio is going to go anywhere. Um, people like the music that they like. They like the genre, you know, they like being able to turn on their favorite country station or, if you like rap, rap, or whatever it is, and uh, you get to know the DJs, just kind of like people, why, why do they listen to our shows? They, they kind of feel like they have a personal relationship. Yeah, I have no idea. I still and, ask that question every day. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but you bring up a good point where you can have kind of a personal relationship with that. And I know, you know, people reach out to us on Instagram all the time at Lone Duck, in case you don't. Uh, and you can get, like, you can DM us and get right in touch with us. It's pretty cool, it's different. Because it couldn't have been like that when you first started. Yeah. Oh no, dude. It, um, Facebook didn't exist when I st when I took the the job in East Texas. Facebook 
had just started and all my friends were on Facebook and they're like, you got to get on Facebook. And I was like, if I wanted to talk to you, I would just call you or, you know, I would just call you. I don't want, I don't need to see what you're doing on Facebook. So until I started my own show after that first job, like I didn't, I, you know, got on social media kicking and screaming and, and now it's like, I'm addicted to it and it's, it's business. And I wish I, I wish it wasn't that way because I think the world would be a better place without it, but uh, it also helps us make a living. So it's a catch 22. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dive in a little bit more about Maverick. Uh, and, and then we'll dive into a few other dogs because to me, you know, these are the dogs that have helped created you. So the, the initial story yeah. of him being nervous around gunfire until he got that duck, like where, where are some memorable places the two of you have hunted and ducks that he retrieved that just are, stick in your mind. Oh yeah. So so I I think that was when he got that first duck. I don't remember how many ducks we shot that day. It wasn't a lot. Um, and I was going to school in Denton, Texas, which is really close to this public lake, Ray Roberts. And so it was like fifteen minutes from the house my brother and I were renting to the lake. So I would set all my classes to start after eleven a.m. so I could go duck hunting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Denton's like a little, it's like a mini Austin, like super liberal little town. It's blown up a lot since then. But, uh, I mean, I would go, like, I would throw the dog in the backyard and like go to class and waiters and like people would look at like, what is this guy doing? You know, (laughs) this is not what you usually see here. But, uh, I remember the first time him and I went duck hunting solo and at the time I didn't know what any, like, I didn't know how to tell one duck from the next. These two little ducks came in, and I shot them both. And so I was super proud of myself. Yeah. That I hit them. And then he went and got them and brought them back. And I could I remember the smell of the gunpowder out of the 870. It was a really cold morning. I remember seeing uh, the um, moisture just coming out of his nostrils when he was bringing them back. And uh, it's very, it a very vivid memory. And what they, they ended, being, uh, ended up being two green-winged teal drakes. And those are the first teal I ever saw, you know, then I had to like go home and get on the internet and be like, what are these things? Yep. You know, like, did I shoot too many? I hope not. I don't know what the <laughs> limit is, but, uh, yeah. So that was cool. Um, then my, got my brother into hunting with me cause he was like, yeah, he wanted to do what I was doing. He was just a year younger than me. So we started going together and, um, we same spot. We'd go out there. And a lot of times, a lot of times the memories weren't so much the ducks that the dog brought back. It's, uh, the blood, sweat, and tears into, like, getting your spot to hunt public land. Like, I remember, and I had a sedan at the time. Like, I didn't have a truck. I didn't know I needed a truck because I wasn't a hunter, you know. It was just, I didn't care. Uh, And I had a Saturn sedan, and I would drive that out on the the WMA. So what you're saying is you were a total ladies' man. Oh, yeah. And I had a a Ducks Unlimited sticker on the back of my sedan. You know, it was a total douche, but... uh, (laughs) So one night it was like snowing and then started sleeting and it's freezing. And we got a campfire and I'm freezing my ass off. And next thing you know, me and Maverick are like spooning underneath the Saturn, like to try to get out of the, the precipitation, awesome. <laughs> we're like trying to keep each other warm. And, and we're there like, I, I don't know how many times the uh, park rangers ran us off. Cause they're like, you can't spend the night here. And then, but we're like, but we're, we're not spending the night. We're saving our spot. And then he'd be like, Oh, well, wh-, I said, well, what time are we allowed to come? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, well, then we're here now. And then he really never really had a rebuttal, but he's like, but you can't drink. So we'd hide the beer and then he'd leave and we'd bring out the beer again. And, you know, 
this is when I was a younger man. So, Had a boy. Um, but uh, but one time that same spot, I remember again the first season I ever duck hunted. I wanted to shoot a pintail. I'd seen what a pintail looked like. So <clears throat> my brother and I are duck hunting. These two ducks come in on the right side, and my brother's on the left side. So I shoot them both, shoot the pair, and Maverick brings them back. I'm like, look, it's a pair of pintails. I was like, so, look, Jansen, this is so cool. He's like, yeah, that's awesome. Pintails, really awesome, beautiful ducks. So we go to the taxidermist in town, and I said, yeah, sir, I want you to mount these pintails. And he goes, well, that's a nice pair of widgeon that I'll mount for you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no, I don't have my heart set on a widgeon. But, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so, Dude, yeah. I think that I can 100% relate to my first dog, Buck's first season, and our where we were killing birds, and we're like, that's really cool looking. Take a picture of it. Look it up. What is it? And did were we allowed to shoot it? And in the uh-huh. the scale of knowledge that we've gained since then, and tactics, and where we go, and and some of those spots that we first hunted, we kind of it's almost like you forget as much as you've learned. Uh-huh. And last year, I went to one of our first spots that we ever had been to with my first dog, and we had a bang up shoot i'm like why haven't we been back in eight or ten years right it, yeah. it was just as good as i remember so but i 100 agree that we were killing things like what is this thing it's like oh it's a hood of merganser like hell yeah right. get it mounted yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in at the time like because i mean there weren't a lot of social like even on facebook which i had just gotten on begrudgingly actually i hadn't because i was still in college so i had not been i wasn't on social media yet I had, didn't do that till I started my own show. So, like, hunting forums was where I would pick up a lot of information. You know, I would obviously read every Ducks Unlimited magazine front to back and, and Delta Waterfowl and, and totally immerse myself in any knowledge I could pick up how you set your decoys, you know? Because I, I was learning on the fly. I taught myself. Right. Um, and then, but hunting forums was, there's a Texas hunting forum. I, I haven't been on there in 10 years. But at the time, you know, I picked up a lot of knowledge on there from people that have been doing it a lot longer than me. Um, so I think, you know, and I think one thing to say is like, and I, and I think sometimes the hunting industry doesn't do a good job of this, especially duck hunters. Sometimes we're, we're jerks, but people need to not be afraid to ask questions. And then if they do ask a question that seems like a really rookie thing to ask, like, how do you not know that? Well, don't be a jerk when you give them an answer, just help them, help them through it. Because I was certainly there at one point in time. Yep. I think we all were hundred percent. I, I, yeah. I would agree that, at least because I'm immersed in the waterfowl industry and the retriever industry, I almost completely take myself out of those forums or Facebook groups because it's so negative. You, you see 86 yeah. comments on one dude asking about his dog not bringing the bumper back, and you're like, you know this kid's getting ripped a new one. And it, yeah. it's so negative that that's a great thought, that if you were sitting at a bar – next to him having a beer and he asked you that question, you would treat him totally different than sitting behind your iPhone or keyboard doing the same thing. And, and it really can put people off and not want to join the game, mm-hmm. which is cool. No, if they're, if they're cool, it, it would be good if they're not going to my spots, if they're going anywhere else, it's good. I'll help. Uh, them. But I feel like that's kind of where we've had a, a niche area of people feel comfortable. I imagine at least, or it seems that way shooting us a message on Instagram and be like, Hey, 
my dog's doing this. Why is it doing this? What, have you seen this before? What do you do when your dog does this? And it's been a really cool way to engage with different people. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop you right there, Kevin, because I've got a. it just made me think of him because he's – you're more now in and, – and we'll digress back into the retriever world, but you're you're into big game. You're into Texas hunting. Oh, yeah. You're into going overseas and hunting – and I'm sure that you get five top questions that is just like every day you get. What are some of those things that people constantly hit you up for big game hunting or, or resources, and how do you help them? So the number one thing would be how do I find a deer lease because it's gotten so competitive. Um, or duck lease too, you know. I mean, people ask about that as well. But but by and large, it's like in going back to you know bucks and bass are king in Texas. It's white-tailed deer is king here, and um, people want to find a place to hunt. And knocking on doors once in a while, you can get lucky, right? But that's really a thing of the past. It's, yep. The landowners know there's value. They know that someone's going to give it to them. So why give it to the guy that's knocking on their door for free? Um, that's probably the number one thing that I get. And like the best resource I found around here is Craigslist. Really. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, um, hunting, sometimes you can find one on a hunting forum, but, um, yeah, I, I see the most leases listed on Craigslist around the Dallas area anyway, which is major metropolitan area. Um, so that would be one. Um, another is, is cost to hunt in Africa. Um, people don't realize it is, if you don't want to shoot the big five, you can go to South Africa. What are the big five? And just have a. A uh, big five is uh, lion, leopard, rhino, elephant, and um, buffalo. Okay. So, dangerous game. If you don't want to hunt dangerous game, you want to do a plains game safari. I mean, all in, airfare. I took a guy for, he was a, a fireman. He retired. He didn't have a huge budget. Airfare included. He wanted to stay under 10 grand, and he wanted to shoot an animal a day. And uh, he did that very easily. So, uh, and that was with gratuities, too. So, you know, it's, it is expensive, and, and, but it isn't like as expensive as, as people typically, I think, associated. So, with. what types of animals, for example, like was that guy? Can you even bring those home? Like, do you eat them? Bring them home? Like, how? Do- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can't bring the meat home. So, you can bring your hide and your 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 horns, uh, your skull, the the skin. Um, like some of the animals, um, you, you want to bring a baboon tooth home. Whatever you can bring all that stuff home. You just can't bring the meat home. And, um, yeah, and, and, but the meat doesn't go to waste. I mean, we, we eat everything in camp and typically you're eating what the safari in front of you shot. So if there was a group the week before, all that meat's been aged in a cooler or hung out to dry, depending on how cold it is and, um, like dry aging. And then you're eating that. And then the group after you will eat what you shot. I mean, you could just eat what you shot, but they like to age it and they put a lot of effort into making it as as delicious as possible so uh the the trackers fight over the stomach lining like they want the they want that they want the intestines I mean, none of it goes to waste we eat uh like one of some of my favorite things have been like elon tongue um smoked elon tongue um they'll do the cape buffalo tongue we'll eat kudu heart um and liver all of that stuff but to, to answer your question what what my friend dave shot the fireman he shot um he shot a wildebeest. He shot a zebra, a warthog, an impala. Um, I 
he wanted the only thing he didn't get on his list was a kudu um and he shot like two or three other things but uh yeah and all those animals are like under a thousand dollars a piece to, except for the kudus a little more pricey gotcha so so it's based on perceived value of the animal yeah and yeah. then from there your like the meat like that you're not eating at the camp does that get donated yeah. to uh well, donated or sold i mean they oh, okay. do they sell it to the local butcher for like pennies on the dollar oh, cool. and then the local community can buy it um but i mean we do donate like when i shot my buffalo one of the coolest things that i've that i've ever done was um we went to this little school in rural south africa and we donated a third of the buffalo meat to the school. We get there, and it's all loaded up in these coolers, and we, we present it to the to the entire schools there. And they are singing and dancing and so grateful to have it. And um, and then I look over, and there's a soccer field that has been put in with Hunter Dollars. Like, the safari company came in with their, their bulldozer and just leveled the whole thing, put in the soccer field. They dug a well. All that stuff only facilitated because of Hunter's coming to Africa and hunting, like, Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. And now kids want to go to school. Like, where they used to just be like, oh, it's a pain in the ass. I don't want to go to school. Now they get to go play soccer. And now they have fresh water. So it's a big difference. And, and it's all because of hunting. Changes the community. Yeah. You're a big part of Safari Club International. What mm-hmm. are they doing to help facilitate that over there? Well, so Safari Club International is great because they're, they're doing work there, uh, but also they're putting a precedent on anti-hunting legislation in the United States and in Canada. Uh, so recently they were just fighting for Washington state voted four to three to cancel their spring bear hunt for 2022. So safari club, another great organization is sportsman's Alliance. They do a great job of keeping track of uh, anti-hunting legislation. And, and when I say anti-hunting, that can also include like dog breeding stuff. There, oh, yeah. There's a lot of bills that are introduced on dog breeding, uh, what you can and can't do with a hunting dog. Um, so Hound hunting. They got this. All that. Yeah, hound hunting. Yeah. So they got this thing squashed. Uh, they, they basically, we, we raised enough hell as a hunting community that they revisited the decision, and now they're going to reopen the bear hunt for this, for this spring. So, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So alongside of the dog sports and all that, the sportsman or the Safari Club International, is it kind of like a lobbyist group almost? They are they're a conservation group that has lobbyists that work full-time for them. Gotcha. So they have a D.C. office, and they, they have a director of conservation and government affairs that uh, works out of D.C. So, yeah, they're, they're actually based out of, uh, I think, Virginia? I think they're out of Virginia, um, but uh, but anyway, the the DC office is where they keep track of all that stuff and gotcha. where they work with politicians and say, hey, you know, we're we need to think about scientific wildlife management in this situation instead of emotions, and it's always predators, right? That's sure. what that's what's the low hanging fruit. That's what tugs at the the anti hunters' heartstrings, and all the sheep are like, oh no, we can't shoot a bear, like. Okay, well, the bear's going to eat your dog. Right. And and I, I'm not going to – listen, it sounds terrible to say this, but when I see the videos of, of cougars and bears eating people's pets in California, I cheer every time. I'm like, 
this is a year of politicians that you've elected that have put in this anti-hunting legislation. Now you ha- are overrun with predators, and now Fido just got eaten off your back porch. You know, you made your bed. Deal with it. Right. So, well, I, I do agree with you. I think... Sounds terrible to say, but I don't care. I care. I th- <laughs> I care. I think the only way to change it is for more Fidos to get eaten. That's right, and have it hit them home where they, yeah. they see a benefit to it, and they see a benefit of, well, maybe we need to figure out these numbers, but I feel like it's going to take a tactful individual to educate them on our management practices and what that really means to the population and how that will affect them in a positive way. And mm-hmm. that is where I find that our hunting community can sometimes be too in your face to where I might be able to have a conversation with Sally Sue who sees a pigeon being chomped on by a six-month-old puppy. And she's like, oh, my God, that poor pigeon. I'm like, that dog's doing what it's bred to do. That pur- pigeon is right. serving a purpose in in building natural desire and we lost a pigeon to the world, but we also gained a, a, a bad-to-the-bone future duck dog where right. Sally Sue in California, whose Shih Tzu got eaten by a cougar, is probably now on our side, but we've got to tactfully, tactfully bring her in and educate her on, all right, we don't need to kill them all. We just have to manage. Exactly, exactly. And guess what? California is still killing cougars. They're just paying government trappers to do it on the taxpayers' dollars. So, you know, it's just insanity. It is. And that that's happening that's happening all over the country too. Yeah. Everywhere. Well. Yeah. That's why we're just paid to be a do- I'm just paid to be a dog trainer, man. I can't I can't help these people that much. So, one interesting thing, now that I'm my I'm on my third lab, people ask me um, about JoJo. Who I think Jojo Jojo will be a year old on Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and um, people ask me, "It's like, why don't you just train her yourself? Why are you paying money to to uh, have someone train her?" And I'll answer that question with, you know, I could train her myself, but time is money. I could, you know, I could do all of the re- all the repair work on my truck too, right? But I'm not a mechanic, so I pay someone to do that for me, and it's the same thing with the dog. Uh, I, tr- I have a trainer that I trust, just like your clients trust you. I know that you're going to do right by my dog, and at the end of the day, it's going to benefit me, and that money that I've invested in it is going to pay off in droves. So I, I, that's the one. Que- that's another question that I get. I'm just like, oh, beat my head against the wall. Like, do you mow your own yard? Well, I do mow my own yard, but a lot of people don't. But I certainly, I'm not my own mechanic. And if I had, if my computer craps out tomorrow, I'm not going to try to fix it myself, right? Right. So. It's just uh, it's a question that I get, but it seems really silly to me. <laughs> sure. Let's talk about that new dog, JoJo. Is it another chocolate lab? Yeah. It's a cho- I don't know. I'm addicted to the, the chocolates. but uh, And I know a lot of people are like black or, or yellow lab purists. But, yeah, I don't. I had the first one I got was a chocolate, and I just uh, decided that's that was just what I liked. And Where did uh, you yeah, get her from? A, so I got her from so, – so the dog that just died, Belle – her trainer um, referred all of her. She retired. Her trainer did, and so she referred all of her clients to Rusty Hagland in Bonham, Texas, uh, Trigger Time Kennels. Mm-hmm. And so I met Rusty, and I had him on the show, and kind of just kind of wanted to vet him out and, and see what he was all about. And um, 
he's a good old boy. He's going to shoot you straight. An honest, you know, works with his hands kind of dude and um, and has a great reputation. And so actually got JoJo out of his kennel. And the first breeding did not take. Uh, his parents are both master hunters. Uh, but the first one didn't take. And so then he artificially inseminated the mom when she came back into heat. So it took like over a year for that to actually all come to fruition. But uh, the timing was good because, uh, you know, Bell got cancer and we didn't know that was going to happen. So, yeah, um, that's the worst, man. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, me yeah. too. I appreciate it. How old was, was she? Rough. Uh, she was 11. And we were we were dove hunting. Um, so Bell's training background, Bell was not a master hunter. She went to a basic gun dog school that was like four months when she was, you know, under a year old. And then between dove and duck season, so every October, I would send her back for, like, a refresher. And they would work on – but, you know, by the time she was three or four, she was taking hand signals. And um, and she – the dog was a luxury because there was never a time where – and, you know, if someone invites you to go duck hunting, you, and it's their spot, you kind of feel bad saying, well, can I bring my dog? You know, because if they have a dog, then they're like, eh, it's my spot, it's my dog, it's my hunt, I'm, you're just coming. In 11 years, I never – did not hunt one time without her for any kind of waterfowl. Good for never, you. Never. Because she was a print. She was just a perfect lady. She honored other people's dogs. And she, if I told the dog to do something, she just did it. I mean, and so people, the guys I hunted with just were like, definitely bring her. You know, it was never a question. So I look back at that and then I think about how, how hard-headed the first ma- dog Maverick was. That's not his fault. You know, I tr- we trained each other. I was in college. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I didn't even hunt when I got him. So I call him a meat dog. And he had a great nose. He was a great dog. But it was like he was a, a Ford F-150. And, and then Bell was like uh, some mix between that and a Lamborghini. Like you could just <clears throat> sit back and wa- just watch her just do her thing and know that she's never going to screw up. She's never going to embarrass you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not going to mess up your buddy's hunt. She's not going to break. She's not going to whine. And I don't. You tell me this if this is true. You guys are around dogs all the time. Someone told me that you get one good dog, you get one great dog, and then you get the rest are just kind of dogs. So I don't know if that's true or not. But I feel like Belle was the one that. Um, oh God, I was just I'm going to tear up thinking about her. Yeah, I, I Bob can answer this too, but I'm going to cut him off. I I feel like people just get attached. Yeah. I feel like I, I hear this a ton and that people have a, an attachment to that one special dog that made a lot of memories for them and had a, lo- a, a big impact on them getting into hunting, them getting into the dog world. Them like it, it made the biggest impact on them. Maybe not that that dog was the once-in-a-lifetime hunting companion sort mm-hmm. of thing. But I think it's funny because you, I mean, we, we hunt with dogs all the time and different dogs all the time and whatever and uh to me it's really interesting to see the different types of dogs some dogs add value to the hunt sounds like bell added value and your buddy's like yeah bring her that's awesome Mm -hmm. doesn't whine or cry or break or all these different things but there's definitely other dogs whether it's a hunting dog buddies house dog whatever it might be that don't necessarily add value and you'd be like yeah leave that guy at home he's all right like no big deal but it's uh, it's I, worth the training, man. Yeah. Oh, I've hunted with a buddy whose dog, dog he trained himself, and we saw the dog when the hunt started, and then we saw the dog when the hunt ended. And the dog was just like, "Bye, <laughs> see it." 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's probably better for Bell. I have a a really hard time with this question as well. Because the first dog I had was was is and was Buck. And, and that's why you started doing what you're doing. Exactly. And so yeah. I have a ton of emotional attachment to him and a ton of emotional attachment to what he taught me um, with being more patient because I wasn't back then. Yeah. Um, I had a high standard, and it was all up here. It was a lot of ego. It was a lot of, like, how much effort he and I put into training, and I expected so much out of him, and then he'd make a stupid mistake. Nothing major that nowadays I wouldn't even think twice about, and I'd be like, it ruined 20 minutes of our hunt. And Kevin will nod and say he remembers those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob's a jerk, so it's fine. <laughs> I was. I was more than I am now. Um, and he, he really made me who I am today, if you will, in the world. And I never thought that someone could replace him. And nobody did replace that. But my next dog was, was and is Memphis, and she's seven now. And so she's getting on up in the world, and she's a little achy after we train really hard or work really hard. And she's taken me literally all over the country running hunt tests and has competed at the national level. And so my emotional attachment to her is equal. It's 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 different, yeah. but it's equal. And Buck was a better hunting dog, meat dog style, like never gave up on a hunt. He would dig one out from, he would dig one out from underneath a root ball and like go underwater and find it or swim down river and be gone for twenty minutes and trudge through ice, you know, dodging ice flows and be back with a hooded merganser. And we were like, "What? Amazing!" <laughs> I mean, just some really cool stuff. But Memphis has done something else for me, and I have mm-hmm. a two and a half year old named Quinn that. I really believe she will be the one that takes me as a trainer to the even further level. And so she's yeah. very special to me. And so do I think that there's one that I'll always remember and, like, I will bawl my eyes out? Yeah. And and now I own seven or eight dogs, but some of these are, are house dogs. They sleep in bed. They sleep on the couch. They're mm. they're my truck dog. They're, they're everything to me. The, the nieces and nephews crawl on them. And the other ones are more kennel dogs and come inside sporadically um, and train and whatnot. And they have their role. They're special to me in a different way. Um, And so I just, I'm an addict, man. I can't have just one. So It sucks not having a dog in the house. I'll tell you, that's been since Belle died. And she died uh, two days after Christmas. Mm. And I hunted her. Two days before she died, we shot eight ducks. She picked them all up, but her nose was just, it was like bleeding constantly. And the, that day she woke up and she, for the, she was having a hard time at night. For the first time when she got out of bed that morning, it was noticeably really difficult for her to breathe. Mm-hmm. Not when she was sleeping. And so I was like, okay, it's time for her. She's, she's ran her race and yeah. you know, it's uh, but um, yeah, yeah but it's I, been really weird not having a dog in the house because Joe's at, at training. That's the worst feeling, yes. man. That's yeah. that's the worst thing is when you come home and you open the door for the first time yeah. and it's empty oh, and you're like, I hate it, I hate it. So yeah. what what is the game plan for JoJo? Are you uh, so gonna she's going let her for stay a year. Till... Yeah, she's going to get her master hunter. Um, oh dang! 
Yeah, so she'll be with Rusty yeah. for a full year. So I dropped her off. I got back from an elk hunt like September 15th. I took her there. And um, she's been home one time since then. Like, we were all so miserable because Belle died that I surprised the kids. I went and picked her up for, three like, a long weekend. And and, and she was like a new dog because I honestly did not like Joe at all. Like, I, <laughs> we, her and I were not getting along. She... So and I'm not a trainer, so you guys might hold this against me. But I spanked my dogs, and I spanked I spanked Maverick, I spanked I spanked uh, Bell. But I got them when they were like three months, four months old. I got Joe at eight weeks, and like she would screw up, and I would like one time she climbed up on the counter and ate a whole thing of sushi off of the counter, and I was like, "You stupid bitch!" And I so I you know started spanking, her. <laughs> and then she started peeing everywhere, and then it got where I'd walk in the room and she'd pee, and I was like, oh, "I'll kill you," you know. So when she came uh-huh. back, all of that had gone away. It was a great break for us, and like she doesn't try to pull 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 you when you're walking around a leash now. So Rusty's, I mean, it's, I told him I was like, it's like different dog, in good. all in all in only good ways. So good. Yeah, there's hope for her yet. <laughs> I've heard I've never met him in person, but I I do know his name and I hear really good things about him as well. So that's yeah. cool. Um, yeah. But that's hilarious. Uh, because I'm not afraid to get in a dog's butt for eating my sushi, but right. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I've definitely had dogs but in the it, house where you're like, uh, I want. I un- now I understand why people dog. send them to uh, to the rescue. You, you yeah. could be a rescue dog. You better be thankful. <laughs> my wife's looking it up on the internet. She's like, "You're not supposed to spank them when they're eight weeks old." And I was like, "Well, shit, I didn't know that." So <laughs> I just did what I did with the other ones, and they turned out fine. You know, that's <laughs> like, right. That's right. One Dude, time in college, hilarious. we my brother and I were overserved. We got home from the bar, and um, Maverick was like, what, same thing. You tell him to do something, and he did it. As he got older, he got a little more ornery and kind of like, and he wasn't deaf, but he had selective hearing. And he was like, "You're gonna spank me? No, you're not. I'm 14 years old. You just, I'm gonna do what I want to do." And I wouldn't spank him at that age, you know. Um, but we made like a, a, a frozen pizza. <laughs> and I ate like three fourths of it, and I threw two pieces in the in his bowl. And I just told him, I said, "Stay." And I woke up the next morning; he was still sitting there drooling, looking at that pizza. <laughs> no <laughs> <his> way! <laughs> I felt so bad. That's, like, That's awesome. a good dog. That's yeah. a good dog. That's a good I, dog. I remember the first time I took Bell in the back of my truck. So I still let my dogs ride in the back of my truck, unless it's really cold or something. And um, and they love it. They love it. So I I put Bell in the back of the truck with Maverick. And we went to the bank, and I, I, I walked into the bank, and I looked back, and freaking Belle was right behind me. I'm like, you stupid little girl. So I grabbed her up, spanked her, threw her in the back of the truck. She never jumped out of the back of the truck again, right? Um, but, you know, I think having one that learns quickly like that is a blessing. And then I don't know how much goes into having an, an older dog, like, saying this is how it is, or, like, you know, having the puppy try to emulate them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't either. I think in certain aspects it helps. I think in other aspects we lean too much on the older dog. No, if the older dog's bad, then it's not good. Yeah, right? you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tell me about this elk hunt. I'm I'm intrigued because this is a bucket list thing in my career mm-hmm. uh, of life, in my chapters of life. That I, When I went to Idaho this last year for Master National, I got to see elk in the wild. Oh, and yeah. it was like. That's where it all starts. That's where the Dude, bite, I, bites you. I'm driving, and I'm like, holy shit, look at those deer crossing the road. Yeah. Oh, it's elk. And I'm, like, <laughs> hitting the gas to get closer to them, and I'm watching them cross this huge pasture, and I'm like, 
this Yankee New Yorker sees elk for the first time. And I'm like, this is, this is unbelievable. So tell me about mm-hmm. that experience. Well, much like a Texan seeing elk for the first time. Um, so my dad, the church that I grew up in, um, they do this annual mountain man trip. And they've been doing it for over 30 years. Once you turn 21, you're indoctrinated into the group. You're allowed to go. So I've turned 21. I, I go to New Mexico. And they all just fly fish and, and hike. No hunters in the group, really. And I start seeing all these grouse. And I'm like, mm. when is grouse? We're here in September. When is grouse season? And I look it up, and like it's it's then. So the next year, I'm like, I'm bringing a gun. And so I start taking my gun, and I'm I'm now I'm grouse hunting, and they're all fishing. You know, I'm like I, I love fishing, but that's just something to do when there's no hunting. So they're all fishing. I'm out chasing grouse, and I'm then I'm like, is that an elk bugle? What is that noise? I don't even know what that is. Oh, that's a bugle. Okay, well now then like three years later, I'm like, okay, I don't, now I'm applying for elk tags, mm-hmm. and um, and so I've killed two bulls in New Mexico. One of them. Oh, cool. It's a big boy. Uh, it's big for me. It's a five by five. I would like to get a giant, but um, let me fix that camera. <clears throat> I was gonna ask you. Got a couple. Uh, you got a couple things behind you there. I was gonna ask what if we could do a, oh, yeah. a loop around the room. Oh, well, yeah. Bob's sitting here looking like he's on like most wanted with no, the blurriness. On, That's this, this is my buddy's from... man room. Yeah, you can't see Bob. You're. I see some out. nice white tail there. But uh, there's a nice black bear. Yep, black bear. Where'd you kill that? I uh, shot that one in Alberta. Uh, we got axis deer, whitetail. A- we have a lot of exotics in Texas. Uh, that is a lynx hiding behind a pine marten. Cool. Let's see. One you guys might like more, canvas back. Ooh, bucket list duck for me, bud. Yeah, there's a moose there. Uh, and then... Over here, we just got some more, more deer. Uh, I like that you say we like just got some more deer over here. Yeah, that's a large speckled trout. Yeah. Where did you get your moose? uh, I shot that one in in uh, Newfoundland. Cool. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so because of this outdoor show, it it, all all of this is just because of that, right? Like. I mean, I, I be honest, I trade out a lot of these hunts for advertising, mm-hmm. or I take a group with me. Um, like, I think the I shot the moose in Newfoundland because it was only like $10,000 as opposed to Alaska or the Yukon where it's like 25000 or 30000 And I was able to work a deal out with a guy there. And, you know, um, Same thing with Africa. I take a group with me, and I get a, a nice discount for that. Yeah. Advertise for the outfitter, so... All that, you know, is only facilitated by falling into this because of that damn dog Maverick. Like, I, I wouldn't be here doing this if it wasn't for him, you know. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. You'd yeah. be taught. It's pretty cool to see the butterfly effect of because you got that dog, because your one buddy called and said, like, hey, man, like, go buy an 870 and yeah. let's go hunting. And you see that dog pick up the first duck and, all right, we should do yeah. all these different things. And it's crazy because duck hunting is still the thing that I like the most, but I'll be honest, like, when I wake up now and I'm dreaming about hunting, it's deer. And I feel dirty. Like I feel like a whore for that. But, and I don't know why it is. It, I think it's because the last two seasons in, in North Texas have been so bad because it's been so warm. Like I got on my first duck lease last year, 
spent fifteen hundred bucks. I think my buddy and I did the math. He he was on it for fifteen hundred bucks too. We were like a hundred dollars a duck. We limited out yeah. opening weekend, and then it was just like by the end of the season, it was like, do you want to go? No, not really. No. We we can just sit on the back porch and watch the sun come up because there's no ducks there. Mm. Which feel it's, it sounds terrible to say that, but that's how bad it has been here, man. It's been. The worst in 20 years I've been doing it, the last two seasons have been horrible. Do you find that it's because we're getting colder later in, in the winter? I feel like that, and then I feel like there's a lot of duck farming going on. Like, um, just ha- having gone to Kansas, I went to Kansas three years ago. Best duck hunting I've ever seen. We shot, there was like eight of us, we shot mallards in the face and then had sprig kickers. Like, it was insane. And this was on a public, this was on a public lake. Like, we don't mm-hmm. have that stuff here. And right. I feel like when I first started out, it wasn't like that, but you could go out and, and scratch out a two-man limit or three or four guys to go shoot 12 or 13 ducks. No problem. Now it's like, golly. We got um, four. I think it's cyclical. I think I don't think that uh, – yeah, I think that global warming is a thing, sure. But I, I think that we'll we'll have a cold cycle again, and, and it'll work out. But, um, but there's you definitely bring some back short a, stopping of ducks going on. Yeah, you bring up a really important point that – we've never talked about on this podcast. And I think the more and more folks I talk to, you have more wealthy people buying farmland and quote unquote farming ducks. They are taking that normal farmland and creating impoundments. And an impoundment is a crop, typically corn, rice, you know, you could do Japanese millet, I guess, but Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're creating a crop and then at the right possible time, you're flooding that crop and ducks are coming in and eating and staying and roosting and imprinting on that location. And so now instead of going from A to B to C to D, they're going A to B to C and never get to D or A and to B. And they'll never leave if it doesn't freeze ever. That's right. Leave. And yeah. because our weather has been staying warmer longer, ducks aren't showing up to their D until February, March, if mm-hmm. they even come. I hugely see that on the East Coast. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, Especially yeah, coming to South it. Carolina. That's mm-hmm. Impoundment City. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're seeing that like so we had that snowmageddon thing in February of last year where Texas oh, yeah. like we were at our house was without power for three days. Um yeah, I mean it was really? bad. We had to go stay with my sister in law and um that w- we were lucky because we didn't have pipes burst and like major flooding, but um yeah, it was it was pretty rough. Um, but driving around then, dude, we had ducks everywhere. Like, oh, I bet. Of course, this is uh, three weeks after the season closed. Mm-hmm. But it was like, well, it, it just went to show that if it still gets cold, they'll come. Uh, we just have to have all of the the all those places where landowners have bought land, and I don't blame them. You know, I'm not mad at them for farming ducks. Like, if I had that resource, I'd do the same thing. I'm not going to fault them for it. I I think about that all the time, you know, like if I had that kind of deal, I would also put up a posted sign on my land and I would also, (laughs) (laughs) you can't come, you can't come, you can't come, you can come, you can't come, my dog gets to hunt, yeah, Yeah. but uh, yeah, so I don't blame him either, I just, I don't know, I guess being the guy on this side of the fence is like, I do get lucky enough to get invited to some of these places, and you see the money that goes into building duck habitat. And I think that would be 
the one thing I would say to other landowners who aren't the rich and famous, who aren't the mega millionaires, but maybe they are the the blue collar farmer who loves the duck hunt, like maybe get a DU biologist or a Delta waterfowl biologist in and say, what could we do to make this plain old beaver swamp productive? Right. right. I mean, that I, if I had a beaver swamp, I would. Yeah. Yeah, well, and to their credit, you know, they're keeping the ducks healthy, so it's uh, it's not like they're hurting conservation. That, well, maybe that's a catch twenty two because if less people in the south are buying duck stamps because there's no ducks, then you are hurting conservation. But you're not hurting the vitality of the species by giving them more food and open water and making them travel not as far. You know, I can see it both ways. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah, so it sucks for us in the south. Yeah, but have you ever gone down the central flyway? So. Have you ever gone down to the Gulf Coast and hunted redheads and any of that good stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Not a Tell lot, but I that. have done it, and those ducks taste like mud. So, well, uh, they, they shoot the you, same, buddy. You are what you eat, right? Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's – dude, so I think like a third of the continental uh, pintail, pintail population winners on the Texas coast, and certainly most of the blue-winged teal go through there. Um, we, we have a ton of widgeon – Gadwall, uh, bluebills, um, but 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 pintail and redheads certainly put on a show down there. But it sucks because you can only shoot two redheads and one pintail, and if that's all you're seeing, it's like, ah, well, that it's fun. The day that I shot that canvas back that I showed you guys, yeah, that was on a lake in East Texas, Cooper Lake. It's about an hour and a half east of Dallas. It was my brother, myself, and one other buddy, and we all shot a Drake canvas back. We didn't shoot another duck the whole day. And I'm not shitting you. We watched canvasbacks come into our spread for three hours. It was Justin. like whatever the food was that we were on this little island that we had to take a boat to. Whatever the food was that was right there, canvasbacks loved it. There was We did not see another duck. We could have shot each shot 30 canvasbacks. So it was one of the coolest, most frustrating hunts I've ever been on. Yeah. Yeah. I've never killed one. It's a bucketless duck, man. We just don't get them in New York. In so they miss you numbers. guys. They, they are will... prevalent on the East Coast, <sighs> but just not where we're at. Yeah, it's it's like towards Long Island. Uh-huh. You'll people will talk about getting. You'll see them in the Finger Lakes where we're not far from, but it's like you're not you're lucky. You are uh-huh. a lucky son of a gun if you got that group of 20 that's on the lake or the group of 100 that's on the lake, and they just happen to buzz you. Mm. And then western New York, like Lake Erie, they'll buzz that Niagara River and Lake Erie, and they'll they'll kill them there. And we're like in that little sliver of hour and a half and an hour and a half where it's just like, eh, canvas back, <laughs> don't give a shit. So what so, do you guys most? what do you kill mostly there? So depending on the time of year, you know, our early season is going to be your wood ducks, your teal, your mallards, your black ducks. Um, very rarely a gadwall. Uh-huh. Very rarely. Um, the, you want to know what we call know, gadwalls in Texas? Gray duck? Well, that, but we also call them training wheel ducks because they will play ball when nothing else will. Like, we, we love shoot. gadwalls. We love them so much because the mallards, like, they're all hanging up in Kansas where all the corn is and, like, like we just talked about. Oh, gadwalls still come. They come, and so they have saved so many hunts for us. Like we love gadwalls. Like oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I think I I've feel... shot more gadwall than any other duck, for sure. And they eat well. Yeah. Delicious. I like, I like them. Yeah. I've never yeah. shot a black duck, though, so that's intriguing. So I went a three-year dry streak on black duck, and this year I killed several. And so I was nice. freaking pumped. Um, in fact, I don't know if Memphis has ever retrieved a black duck until this year because either we've taken other dogs on the duck hunts where I've killed one or what have you, yeah. or, or buck, you know, got the black duck retrieved. So Memphis got her first. Our dad's dog picked up. A couple mm-hmm. black ducks, yeah. And, yeah. So it's uh, it, it was a good good year for black ducks for me. But um, then as but I would say that we shot the the ones that we shot were in Maryland. They weren't. I shot in New York. one in New York and two in Maryland. Oh, I lied. That's all right. So Maryland is like the top of my uh, bucket list, like for for waterfowl hunts, like. A lot of people want to go to Alaska and do the sea duck thing. That seems cool, but like the the history, the tradition, the the duck carving museums, oh yeah, the crab cakes, all that stuff. I want to I want to experience there in like Chesapeake Bay and uh, it's like nostalgia. It, yeah, we've done it twice now, and you won't be disappointed for the exact reasons you said: nostalgia, history, uh-huh. the carving museums are are and artwork. Yeah, so cool! It, it's amazing. Um, very good. Also, the crab yeah. public <laughs> land, accessible public land. Um, which let me ask you this: speaking of public land, being from Texas, and you hear a lot of like the guys on Meat Eater who poo-poo some of the Texas and the the leases. What's the public land hunting for you as far as waterfowl hunting goes, mm-hmm. and and. I guess deer hunting as well, just to dabble in that. But for waterfowl hunting, what's it like to be a duck hunter in Texas? Well, so in the almost two decades I've been doing it, it's just gotten a lot more crowded. Um, and I was already, like I told you, we'd spend the night out there 20, 20 years ago almost. Um, now it's it's more competitive and there's less ducks. So I buy the hunting, the Texas hunting permit, the public land permit every year, and I always go at least one time. That's all I can say that I'm doing. And I go to the same spot, and it's a place where both of my other dogs and I have, have killed a lot of ducks, and I just kind of go there just for the nostalgia's sake. And, you know, I think last last Thanksgiving, me and a buddy went there, and we shot three gadwall. It wasn't like a bang-up hunt, but it's a familiar place, and one day I'll dump Bell's ashes there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, um, public land is competitive. If you, you know, guys with boats that put in the scouting, it's the same as anywhere. They still kill, kill ducks. But, um is it majority rivers or lakes? No, lakes. Lakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what do yeah, those big, lakes big, look like? Big water reservoirs are, are are predominant public land duck hunting opportunity in Texas. And uh deer hunting in Texas, public land, forget about it. Like there's there's a couple like national forests here and there. The uh, Sam Houston National Forest or some of these WMAs where you can duck hunt. Very few, but some of them have a very like a weekend rifle season or you can bow hunt the whole season uh but none are with like the closest one to me is like an hour and a half away and they are competitive and people will steal your stuff if you leave it out there so i've i've never i've done a drawn hunt through texas parks and wildlife on public land for whitetail i've never uh, ventured into the hey i'm gonna go this season hunt this wma it's just i'd rather get on a deer lease and with kids now like I want to have a, a place, a house on a deer lease where I can, my wife can go and take a shower, and 
if she's happy, then you know she's more she's more geared up, gung ho about <laughs> yep. going. And the kids want all the kids and the three kids all want to go every time. So, um, but cool. yeah, it's I had a place in Oklahoma for four years, and we had a a camper that we refinished, but we didn't have electricity. We had a generator. Sometimes we had electricity through that. When you ran out of gas, it was done. You shared it with rice and uh, with mice and rats, and I never took my wife to that. There was no toilet. I mean, it was pretty rustic. So, was that for yeah. whitetail hunting, or did you? Yeah, duck it was hunt for whitetail. And we had a hell of a mallard slough on there too, beaver pond. Uh, cool. But I was in there duck hunting one time, um, uh, deer hunting one time, and I tried to leave, and the locks had been changed, and the landowner sold it while I was in there hunting. I had no idea it was for sale. Like. <laughs> I called him. I'm like, "What's the? I can't get out. Like, I'm locked in your property." He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah. That the new landowner put locks on it." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I was like, "I want all my money back right now. Me and my buddies, you're screwing us." So, yeah, it was. Uh, we had to get his attorney involved. It wasn't good. <laughs> That's hilarious. I got out and I got yeah. the money back. Had a baby. Had yeah. a baby. Yeah. If you could go anywhere besides Maryland, where would you go to duck hunt? Uh, so well, you would have to tell me where I could shoot an old squaw, and I'm not politically correct, so I'm still going to call him an old squaw. Me so, too. I like your uh, style. Well, you can come yeah. right here, bud. There's yeah. one right there, ah, with Kevin's there wall. You go. I want to shoot an old squaw. The eiders will also do something for me. So, um, you know, the scoters are cool, but those are basically just black looking things with a little red on their face, like yep. a king eider. Like Alaska would be awesome too. Yeah. Um, so I would say Alaska or the, the East Coast where I could shoot a old squaw yeah well long island we did a where that one was shot and i've got one on my wall was long island in the long island sound and it was like not shooting i mean it was like what you see on tv it was epic yeah it was epic (laughs) you're in a layout boat and it it was really fun um i've never shot the eiders so that would be something like maine uh cape cod that would be really cool as well. Yeah. What about what about a whitetail? Where would you like to go whitetail hunting? Or have you been a place where you're like, if you haven't been here, you got to go? Um, so I, I've missed out on a lot of hunts over the last two years because of COVID. Um, and, uh, like, I want to go to Saskatchewan and shoot a whitetail. I've hunted whitetail in quite a few states. Uh, Illinois, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas. I've mule deer hunted in new mexico um but yeah i want to go to canada saskatchewan i have an open invite there and actually with mossberg i missed the greenhead smackdown this year because i'm not i'm not vaccinated and and linda was like hey you want to come for a four-day mallard beatdown essentially in saskatchewan i'm like yes no i can't go so i'd have gotten vaccinated for that i'm just saying (laughs) <laughs> I'd have been like, screw the politics. I'm killing greenheads, baby. Stick. No, me. it's not about politics. My wife's had all kinds of joint pain since she got vaccinated, and I've seen her like struggle with that. And I'm just like, no, I'm not doing it. I've had COVID twice. I'm not. I'm not getting the shot. I'm just not doing it. Ten but uh, but so but another place I also missed out on. We had a um, in May of this year. I'm supposed to be going to Argentina, and they oh. emailed me and they're like, "Are you still coming?" And I was like, "What's your vaccination deal?" And they're like. Well, you have to be vaccinated, or you can quarantine in a hotel for ten days, and it's a four-day hunt. I'm like, yeah, our group's not coming. You know, keep the deposit yeah. if it works out eventually. But we had it shooting dove in the face all day. Doesn't really appeal to me. I'd like to do it one day, and then we had we had it set up where we could do dove, upland, or waterfowl. So I was going to do like two days of waterfowl hunting. 
mm-hmm. and shoot like silver teal and they have a different uh-huh. pintail down there and all these other cool called a widgeon well i don't yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah a widgeon is sorry would you mount these for me uh i mean he must have felt so bad saying that so, well, those are widgeon but yeah but it's got a thingy it's nice widgeon though yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's awesome i would yeah. love to go to argentina one of these days and do a hunt i went to peru a few years ago and we're riding this train to the machu picchu oh yeah and and we snuck back on this train to like the fancy people place mm-hmm. and we're and we're there's music back there the fancy people place look oh yeah I'm, I'm drinking a glass of red wine look at that i wasn't what gonna a judge sophisticated you. redneck i only drink wine about well, my wife opened a bottle i drink it like once a week maybe I prefer bourbon, or you guys look like you're drinking beer. Bush That's light, kind of my, my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. I like Bush you're, light. You're the lone. You drink Lone Star. No, I don't drink Lone Star anymore. So they were a sponsor for like ten years. Oh, and, really? Uh, they decided I was a little too political for them. So oh, I, oh, tough break for them. Tough break for them. I don't give a shit. Now I can drink whatever I want and not have to only post pictures drinking Lone Star. So <laughs> good for you. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. So you made out. It was liberating. So, so uh, Machu Picchu. So we're we're dancing. We we hear this fun stuff going on in this back of the cab, and and if nobody's you know you're all listening to this, but I'm I'm dancing on screen right now, and yeah. we're we're like we're gonna pretend to fit in here, and we like open the door and slide in, and nobody notices, and we sneak up to the bar and just like just dance into this you know mariachi style band, and we start talking to this guy, and he's speaking pretty good English. He's like, where are you from? Oh, we're from, you know, New York. Oh, New York City. We love New York City. I've been there. I'm like, yeah, well, we've never been there, you know. <laughs> That's not really where we're from. And he's <laughs> like, funny. oh, we're from Argentina. I go, do you duck hunt? And he's like, oh, we duck hunt. I'm like, oh, give me your number. <laughs> I have in my notes from like seven years ago or five I don't know how long ago. It was a while ago. A note in my phone that says like Eduardo – the Malardo, whatever his name was, duck hunter in Argentina. And, and someday I'll go to Argentina and call this son of a gun and I'm going to oh, kill yeah. bucks with him. Yeah. But we're, we're freaking dancing. I'm dancing with his hot wife. Like, Oh yeah, we love <laughs> killing ducks, baby. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited. So I'm going to Africa this summer. Cool. And duck hunting is not a thing there, dude. Like no one gives a crap about it, but they have ducks and they have Egyptian geese. Um, Oof. Yeah. And so, ethically, I don't know how I feel about baiting a pond, but they're going to bait the shit out of this pond, and then we're going to do a duck hunt. And there's no, there's no like limit on how many you can shoot, but no one shoots them, right? So it's like nobody boatload. Yeah, but but the point is like if we if we go in there and we kill sixty ducks between five guys, we're the only five guys in with a hundred mile square you know radius that are actually even duck hunting. No one cares. And they don't that even have whole decoys year. or anything, right? Like no, like so you're not really. It's not like you're doing it every day, and right. so and it's the, you do the, they do the same thing in Argentina. Uh, but one cool thing, one cool story. Speaking of Egyptian geese, we're we're hunting in, at a uh, a pond, a buddy's place. They had permission to hunt in East Texas, and it's me, him, my sister in law was on that hunt, and, and Bell, and these two things come in, and we shoot them, and we shoot them. Bell brings them back, and I'm like. Were they birds? They were birds. (laughs) We were like, what? The thing has pink legs. What is that thing? We have no idea until we get, like, 
back to the back to the house and like looking it up. It's like they were Egyptian geese that what? people had like put in like for like um, pasture chrome or ornaments on their pond or whatever. Mm-hmm. They came in and shot them, shot a nice pair of them. I wish I would have got them mounted. We never, I, we'd already cleaned them at that point in time. Sure. It's just like, but yeah, Dude, so that, we shot Egyptian geese in East Texas. It was pretty cool. That's fantastic. Um, that's like the most Texas thing I've ever heard <laughs> is that you just happen to have those things running yeah. around and like yeah. I, I looked it up. I was like, oh, there's like little colonies of them in certain places. That's uh, really cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. One one last story. I don't know how much time you guys have, but you're good. Go uh, for one another one. I found when I found out Belle had cancer, it was she she started bleeding out of her nose, duck uh, dove hunting in September, and it was just a little drop here and a drop there. And, then I would find it on the carpet or on the hardwood floor and be like, oh, the dog's bleeding out of her nose. I thought she had something stuck up there from dove hunting because we were going a lot. We were going like every other day. And the, it was a great dove season. And finally, one one night, uh, we come home from dinner and the bell gets up and comes says says hi. And it's like the floodgates just open and just blood is just hemorrhaging out of her nose. Take her to the th- – anyway, she has cancer. I'm like – well, I have this Sandhill crane hunt booked with uh, Kent Cartridge. They're coming to Texas to oh, to cool. go crane hunting. And I had hunted with them last year, and they don't really let clients bring their dogs. And I was like, look, Belle's dying. She's fine to go hunting, uh, but they're like, she has three months or less to live. So he's like, bring her. And they, they put, like, goggles on their dogs. And I was like, if Belle loses an eye, it doesn't matter at this point. She's <laughs> on her way out, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, so true. She's going. They were like, so she can come. And the dog... Um, this is what made her so great. I'd never hunted. We'd hunted out of layout blinds, but we always had the dog just laying beside me, right? And they were like, no, Crane's eyes are too good. She has to get in the layout blind with you. I'm like, what? Like, oh, this will be interesting. So I just say, Belle, he, you know, kennel. And she's looking at it. It's like a layout blind. This ain't a kennel. And she gets in there. The first day, the first Crane she picked up, she was like, oh, this is weird. You know, 11 years old, never seen one of these things. I think she picked up five out of like the 25 that we shot. Second day, she picked up 18, and it was just like, nice. like all about it, and you know, it was just like, I'm, I'm glad we were in the layout blinds because I'm in there crying, and my buddies, I don't want them to see me crying, you know, it was just like, uh, it was, but it, uh, it was like teaching an old dog new tricks, and that's just, uh, I hope JoJo lives up to those expectations because uh, she's a hell of a dog, just like you guys have had amazing dogs too. I, I hope so too, man. I hope that this new dog. Uh gives you everything that you want for your kids and, and you and your hunting season and well they like her at least so yeah and they're <laughs> you know what's cool about your kids too they're at that age where when jojo's hitting her prime your kids are going to be hitting their prime on killing birds and yeah. they're going to get to see their dog go and get them for them and you'll have a lot of really special memories with this dog no doubt about it yeah um cable i can't thank you enough for being a part of our show and coming on here and telling your story. And so do me a favor one more time, tell everybody where they can listen to you on your show, uh, follow you on social media and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. It's just uh lone star outdoors show or wherever you download your, your podcast, uh, lone star outdoors show.com. A little more information on there. Um, same on social media, just lone star outdoors show. I do have a backup page on Instagram cause they've shadow banned me so hard that it's like it, the, the page has 140,000 followers and no one sees anything I post. So go to Cable Smith Outdoors is a good place on, on Instagram and uh, Facebook, just Lone Star Outdoors show. So I appreciate the opportunity and thanks for letting me plug the show as well. Um, yeah. Big fan of what you're, what you're doing. And like, like I said, it's crazy. We've been following each other for, you said 
before we started recording, before I had kids. So Henry's nine, so that's a decade. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to finally get to, to have a conversation with you. And Kevin, nice to meet you as well. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, me too, guys, immensely. All right, well, cheers. We'll do it again, I promise. And uh, stay well, my friend. You guys too. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Golfers. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.